You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Well, now today we're going to talk about failures. So how many of you have ever failed? Raise your hand. A couple of you aren't raising your hand. You're failing now. Uh, You're failing miserably. Because we've all failed at some point. We've all failed. I love this verse that we used a few weeks ago, and I think it's very appropriate to remind you of. It's Hebrews 12, verse 15, and it says, Be sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Uh, The writer of Hebrews wants you to know that it's possible to miss out on God's grace. If it says, be sure that no one misses on God's grace, then you could miss out on God's grace. There's a lot of things we do in church that if you don't do, you'll be okay. You know, we raise our hands here and surrender to God because he's a wonderful God. The New Testament even says we lift our heart with our hands to the Lord in heaven. That's, that's why I lift my hands. And some of you clap and some of you don't clap. And that's okay. I mean, you could miss on clapping. You, you could even miss part of the sermon today as you're thinking about what's for brunch or lunch or the chores you have at your home or what NFL team is going to be playing that you're hoping will win today. I mean, you, you could miss out on that. But if you miss out on grace, because that's why Christ died on the cross, to purchase the grace of God for us, the forgiveness of our sins for us. If, if you miss out on grace, your relationships won't be gracious. Good morning. You'll be mean to people. You'll be cantankerous. You'll be an agitator. You know, that's the thing in the washing machine that either goes this way or spins that. You know, we have one of those spinning washing machines that spins so fast that it always tries to dance. You know, I think it missed out on grace somehow. And if you're one of those people, you know, you might be married to one of those people. Don't nudge them right now. But, the, you know, it might be your brother or your sister or your workmate or your teammate, you know, or someone in your unit. Uh, on the base that you got, I just wish they wouldn't miss out on, on grace. There was a great story, and it's a true story, about a time where a missionary got on an airplane and he looked to his right and he saw the most beautiful smile. It was a young lady who had Down syndrome. And with his just raw, honest, infectious smile, she smiled at this missionary. And then there was a guy on the other side, the other side of the aisle, who sat down. They hadn't even left the tarmac yet, and he gets out his briefcase and his laptop, and he's feverishly working on a project. Well, this Down syndrome gal asked the missionary, did you brush your teeth today? (laughs) And he said, well, yes, I brushed my teeth. And she said, that's good, because we're all supposed to brush our teeth. Then as the plane pulled back, she asked him another question. She said, do you smoke? He said, no, I don't smoke. She said, that's good because people aren't supposed to smoke. It's bad for your health. The third question she asked him was one that penetrated his heart. She said, do you know Jesus? And the missionary answered, why, I do. She said, that's good, because everybody needs to know Jesus. Well, now they take off, and they're airborne, and she says, hey, 
Mister, yes, he said. The guy over there, across the aisle, ask him. <laughs> ask him what? Ask him if he brushed his teeth today. <laughs> and the missionary was a little reluctant, but he leaned over and said, Sir, I need you to ask your question. And he said, Don't bother me, I'm busy. He said, no, it's not from me, it's from her. And he looked down the aisle, and there was that infectious smile of this Down syndrome young lady who couldn't be denied. Did you brush your teeth today, he asked. <laughs> yes, I did. He told the girl, he brushed his teeth. Good. Because everybody should brush their teeth. <laughs> yeah, got it. Then he leaned over. Because the next question was coming. Sir, do you smoke? She wants to know. <laughs> no, I don't smoke. She wants you to know that's good. Because if you smoke, it's bad for your health. And finally, with this just effervescence in her soul, she got all bubbly in her seat. Ask him. <laughs> and the missionary, even though he was a missionary, said, oh, I don't want to invade him with a spiritual question. He's just thinking... How do I get out? Ask him or I'll push my button. <laughs> Sir, my friend here wants to know, do you know, do you know Jesus? And with that, he closed his laptop and he said, interesting you would ask. I've been starting to wonder about who he is. I've been just starting to wonder about the claims that he made. And to with that, the little girl didn't go through the mediator. She yelled it out across the aisle. Everybody should know him. The missionary began to share between Atlanta and Dallas the story of Jesus. Emails were exchanged, and the missionary began to share the story of the gospel of Jesus. All because a young lady was open to the nudge of God in her soul. Hey, have you ever had an opportunity like that? And excuse me for asking, failed miserably at it. You ever had an opportunity where you could have shared some good news with somebody? Oh, by the way, I have a question for you. Did you brush your teeth today? Just, just want to know. We, we said this the last few weeks, and it bears repeating that your destiny is greater than your disaster. Even if you miss the opportunity to represent the Lord, even if you miss an opportunity to be gracious and caring and, and kind to someone, even if you sinned, I mean, flat out S-I-N-D against God and his ways. Since we fail God every day, we should be broken. And since the throne of God is a throne of grace, we should be honest. If you don't hear me say anything else, get this today. If the throne of grace is really filled with the grace and the love and the mercy and the delivering power of God, then we should be honest about our sin. I have a friend who is a Catholic. Now, he calls himself an active Catholic. He says a lot of Catholics use this phrase, practicing Catholic. He says, I don't like that. Either you're practicing or non-practicing Catholic. And there are people in our community who say, I'm a Catholic, non-practicing. Uh, so they don't practice Catholicism. I get that. And here's what he told me one day. He, he, he knows all about what I do. 
And, and he said to me these words. He said, um, we have something you guys don't have. And I go, yeah, you got a lot of stuff we don't have. We don't have statues and candle boxes with coin things. We don't have a lot of stuff that Catholics have. He says, no, you know what we have? We have built into our liturgy and our tradition. We have this thing called confession. And he goes, I go every week, and if I'm really bad, I go twice a week, and I wait in line. He lives down in the L.A. area where there's lots of sin, I guess, because he says he's got to wait in a line to get in. And I sit in a little booth, and I confess my sins. Now, I'm just going to tell you, as a, a Protestant, by the way, the word Protestant should really be pronounced Protestant. You know what we're protesting? Catholicism. <laughs> but I would tell you that all Protestants, Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, twice removed, you know, we're, we're all in this thing called Protestantism because when Martin Luther... Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther started the Reformation. He said, we protest confession to a person. We claim confession to God. We protest the priesthood of just the priest. We contend for the priesthood of every believer. We're all priests. We all serve. We all have a viable ministry that God's placed inside of us by the Holy Spirit and his calling. So the guy says to me, he says, but we got something on you. Now I'm giving him the spiel I just gave you, right? Well, we're protesting what you're saying. He said, no. I want to ask you a question, Pastor. How often do your people confess? He said, the reason we got something you don't got is we have forced our people to come and make confession. Because if they don't come, we make them feel really bad. And when they come, we make them say, Hail Mary, full of grace. We give them the rosary thing. We, you know, go be nice to a kid today. Go free a little pigeon stuck in the fence, whatever. We give them stuff to do so they'll feel better about themselves. But he said, I just want to ask you the question. Have you ever asked your congregation how often they go and freely confess their sin? And here's the next line. Or do they believe that grace exempts them from confession? We're in the age of grace, are we not? New Testament. The Lord has forgiven us. So if we're forgiven, actually, he's on the cross. Father, forgive him. Good. I'll take that one for the rest of my life. But there's still this thing about a heart that's open and that's contrite before the Lord. But we're going to go to Micah 7 because some of you are itching to open your Bible or your Bible app or your phone so you can pretend like you're looking at the Bible. We're actually going to be... You're going to be Snapchatting or tweeting or something, right? It's okay. Have at it. You're under grace. <laughs> but in Psalm 51, verse 17, David says these words, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. He's still in the age where they sacrificed animals to the Lord, where blood sacrifices were the order of the day. And he says, My sacrifice is really not the blood of an animal. It's a broken spirit, a broken end. What kind of heart? C contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I know we don't use this word contrite very much, but allow me a few moments just to kind of teach here. A, a contrite heart does not seek to rationalize or explain or excuse or defend or justify sin. It doesn't. Next slide. Uh, number two, it does not try to fool 
It does not try to fool God or others or self. It recognizes that God demands truth and honesty. Thank you so much. It does not mean merely feeling bad or remorseful about your sin. I feel bad. That's enough. It does not seek to blame circumstances or other people or God for our own failure. It owns it. It's mine. To be contrite is to have a confidence that the one you're coming before has the power to forgive you. A contrite heart recognizes that sin is a spiritual violation of God's ways. A contrite heart recognizes that sin is an offense against all that is decent and right. A contrite heart recognizes that sin is rebellion, disobedience, and stubbornness of heart. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, have you ever had a stubborn heart? We're going to look today at Micah, this prophet who was called to go to stubborn people who had stubborn hearts, who had hard hearts, who did not want to be contrite at all, and he tells them and warns them of a pending disaster. And he says, um, the only way to be prepared for what's coming is that you would understand your need to go and confess your failure to God. Now, you would not have wanted his job because he's going to a people that think everything is fine with their lives. He's going to a people who are saying, hey, I don't need God. And he's kind of like, he's kind of like a Down syndrome girl on an airplane saying, do you know Jesus? I, I was thinking when I heard about that true story, how many times she may have asked the same question of people who said, I want nothing to do with him. Because I've had people in our own county, out at Vandenberg Air Force Base, I've had people in other locations like LA or San Dimas or San Diego or San Antonio tell me, glad you got Jesus, I don't need him. Glad you have God, I'm not interested. I've got my own thing, I'll be okay. I can take it from here. In Micah, Chapter 7, we hear this story and really starts with, you can write this down in your notes, it's connecting with a greater than God and it means that we have an honest brokenness in our hearts. We're honest. It's not a ritual, it's not going to somebody in a booth or behind a little curtain and it's not living in such an age of grace where you never ever feel like you need to confess. He says in Micah 7, 9, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. I love this. Uh, the New Testament would read this way in, in 1 John that we have a lawyer. We have a defense attorney. His name is Jesus. And he goes before the Father and he pleads our case. And he upholds our cause. And by the way, when the sentence is given by the judge that, that, that we need to die for our sins, Jesus stands up and says, no, 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 excuse me, judge, I already did that. But there's something that happens with the connection of confession. That's why even the Apostle Paul says, if you want to get saved, you must believe in your heart and do what? Confess with your lips. The word confession there means you're saying the same thing God said. 
You confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. And lots of people make it real hard to get saved. You got to jump through my hoops. You got to jump through my memory lane. I had somebody tell me, if you get saved, you will cry. If you don't cry, you're not saved. I cried for an hour and a half. But some of you didn't. And that's okay. You don't have to walk down my memory lane to get saved. I still remember the song that they were playing when I got saved. You don't have to sing that song. You have to do what the Bible says. The Bible is our answer. The Bible is our foundation. We believe in Christ in our hearts that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, and we confess it. With, listen, we confess it. We confess We speak it. I believe that you're Jesus. I, I believe that you rose again. And, and every time we sin, it wouldn't hurt us to confess again. Lord, I blew it, but I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior. 1 John 1, 9, he's just and able to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In remorse, a person is sorry for themselves and mourns over what brought them the suffering or the shame. In remorse, I'm remorseful. But in brokenness, a person is grieved by the wrong that he or she has done to God and others. Remorse is, I got caught. Brokenness is, I am grieving about what I did. There's a difference. If I had time, I'd tell you this story about being a part of an ethics committee for our denomination for six years. All I would tell you is I had to quit. I couldn't stomach the stuff after that long. They said I was good on the committee. I said, are you kidding me? We had a gentleman one time. We did something really stupid. I mean stupid. Capital S, stupid. <laughs> and he walked in the room. I'll just tell you this one quick story. He walked in the room. And he was telling us why he did the stupid thing he did. And blamed all kinds of circumstances and people and everything else. And I got up from the panel. We were a panel. Shirt and tie, coat and tie panel. I didn't like that. And I got up from the panel and I said, uh, I got to go home. Because I live in Lompoc and this was Locker Center. It's quite a drive. And I know Oxnard and I know Carpinteria and I know Santa Barbara. I'm going to have traffic. I'm never going to get home. So I'm leaving. And the guy running our, our committee says, well, wait a minute, you, you can't leave now. We're in the middle of a hearing. I said, I don't, I don't have time to waste on this guy. Everybody's looking at me because I'm the gracious guy at the table. And here's what I said. Here's what I said. We're going nowhere with this man. Nowhere. One guy said at the end, well, we'll play. The Holy Spirit will come and break his soul and I said, no, i got to get on the freeway because i got to beat the traffic. And I start walking out the door, and the guy, the guy who's being investigated says from the chair, don't you care about me? And I said, look, buddy, i got up at 4 a.m. to drive down here to beat the traffic down. i got to get home to my family before there's traffic on the way back. But don't you care about me, he said. I said, I can't care about you because you don't care about yourself. What do you mean? 
I said, you got caught with your hand in a cookie jar and your hand is bruised. And God doesn't heal bruised people. God only heals broken people. And if you're willing to confess to your sin and admit your sin, even before your brothers, because we're the legislative body here, I think God can heal you. And my question would be, as I walk out the door to beat the traffic, I said it six times in the meeting, as I walk out the door to beat the traffic, my, my, my question to you is, are you broken yet? Are you going to keep blaming everybody else? Or are you capital S stupid? And he looked at me and he says, I guess I'm not ready yet. I said, okay, call me when you're ready. I'll get up at 4 a.m. and I'll drive down here to meet with you. See, God only can heal broken hearts. He's a broken heart surgeon. He's not a closed heart surgeon. He's an open heart surgeon. You open your heart, I mean, just a little, the smallest crack, and, 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 and he will invade that. And here's what Micah says, I have sinned against God. I am broken. I'm not just caught. I'm not just busted. I am broken in my, my heart of hearts. Connecting with the greater God is a confident grace, number two. Micah 7, 7 says, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior, and my God will what? My God will what? Come on. Thank you, thank you. I couldn't hear you. Uh, but my God will hear me. There's a confidence in his, in his faith. See, the wrong way to lean on grace is Micah 3.11, if I back up in the book of Micah. He says, yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come of us. We're living like we want. We're living in disobedience to God. And look, there's been no lightning strike yet. The ground has not opened up and swallowed us alive. You ever had people that you've warned? You need to give your family to God. That's why you're imploding. You need to give your life and your career to God. You need to give your future to God. You need to give your ambitions to God, your goals to God. Surrender them at his feet. Well, hey, look, look, look. Is not the Lord with us? We're under grace. We're under grace. No disaster will come upon us. Micah had just told them there is an impending disaster, and they say, no way, and they're living in a sense of false security. And by the way, that's not just Micah's day, that's our day. It was Jesus' day when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, you can look it up later, he said the Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit's coming, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff with his winnowing fork. He's going to quench with unquenchable fire anything that is not righteous. And then he uses this analogy. He said, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. He's coming with a sharp axe. He's going to actually cut trees down that aren't of his planting. And here's the response of the people that day. Here's the response of people. Hey, you know who we are? We're Abraham's seed. We're Jews. We're God's chosen. Don't give us any of this stuff, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, God can make children out of the rocks you're standing on. You brood of vipers, come on. How about that for walking out of the room and saying, I got too much traffic on the freeway? Come on. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Are you going to declare that you're, let me, let me paraphrase. Can I paraphrase? Is it okay? Give me a little permission here to paraphrase. You're going to say you're Americans. You're under red, white, and blue. Come on. Greatest country in the world. You don't need God. You don't need grace. You don't need mercy. 
But we do. Repentance is never rationalizing your sin. You don't say it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's, it's, it's no big deal, it won't ever be remembered. God doesn't put it on my account. Micah 2, 3, and 6, he says, God, therefore the Lord says, I mean, just imagine this guy standing in a worse culture than even ours and saying, God is saying, I'm planning a disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. Come on, how would you like to have his job? They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitor. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. And listen to the end of this. The people said, do not prophesy. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Oh, they had their own prophets. They, they, they had their own people who told them what they needed to know. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. In other words, this guy's lying, even though he says he's from God. The Bible, it's kind of like people say today, the Bible's not true. It doesn't matter. And yet there's people like me standing up in places like this all over America today and places where you work. Many of you have done this too. And ask your friends or your neighbors, do you even care about the day you stand before the Lord and, and judgment comes on you? Well, it's okay. I'll, I'll be fine. Don't, don't tell me such things. No disgrace will ever overtake me. I got it all together. Look at me. I live in Santa Barbara County. Are you kidding me? Look at me. I'm under the stars and stripes. Look at me, I got it made in the shade, lemonade. I, everything's fine here. Why, why would I? And I hearken back to the fact that, 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 a, that a great, great German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we don't have time to read his story today, but he wrote this little book called The Cost of Discipleship. And here's the word that he uses. He calls it cheap grace. Cheap grace is where we just do our own thing, even though we know God's way is better. Cheap grace is where we don't have to confess to him. We just go on about our business. And today, today it's rampant among even evangelicals in America. And I think my friend might have a little something when he says, in Catholicism, we're forced to confess. And in Protestantism, you just let your people do it if they feel like it. I know not LFC. I know you guys all confess. I know you guys all, I mean, I know you are, come on, come on. We're, aren't we? We're the most spiritual church in town, right? See, there's a right way to lean in on grace. And the right way is honest brokenness. By the way, that guy I was talking about on the ethics committee, he, he never got better. I think he could have that day. Because all the guys on my panel were all men filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all people of grace. We could have helped him. Our denomination wanted to help him. There were counselors that wanted to help him. We had an incredible intervention team ready to help him. And he chose not. He chose not. See, when we go to God with our honest brokenness, I mean, he comes and he delivers us from our failures. 
I don't know if any of you have ever done what we did in my house growing up, but we used to drink a lot of 7-Up. And we had this thing about 7-Up, and, and so it was kind of like a treat at my house to have 7-Up. But one of the things we did was um, when we were told you can't have any more 7-Up, is we would steal 7-Up. And then we would go to the sink and add water in the 7-Up bottle to raise the level back up so mom and dad would not know that we have stolen the 7-Up. And they would get some 7-Up and wonder why it tastes a little watered down and less fizzy. One, one day, I'll never forget it, my, my dad caught on to all this, so he drank the rest of the 7-Up and then filled it all the way to the brim with water. And that's what it looks like when you fill it. You don't know. You don't really always see the carbonation, especially in the glass bottles of yesteryear when the dinosaurs roamed the planet. And by the way, things tasted better in glass. Coca-Cola in glass is better than plastic. I'm just telling you, just, just letting you know that. Okay? When it comes to God, he knows if we're filling in the water. He knows if we're playing a game on him. I mean, he knows everything about us before we ask or before we even talk to him. See, an honest brokenness is the result of a deep trust in a relationship with God. Where we say, like Micah 7, 7 said, my God will hear me. What kind of confidence is that? I sat with somebody years ago, and I've, I've told you this illustration. No doubt you heard me use it. But he's sitting across the table from me and he's saying that my sin is so bad that even the Lord cannot forgive me. And I said, are you going to say that again? Because I need a warning if you are because I, I want to leave this coffee shop. I don't want to be anywhere near you when you look up at God and say, your son Jesus wasn't good enough. I don't want to be anywhere near you when you look in the eyes of Jesus and say, Jesus, when you died on the cross, your blood wasn't pure enough. And I don't want to be anywhere near you when you say to the Holy Spirit of God, when you raised Jesus from the dead, your power wasn't strong enough. I need another Savior because that's exactly what you're saying. And I said to him a phrase that I've been using ever since. There's nothing that's gone too far that God cannot redeem. But you have to confess. You have to come clean. You have to be real. And the end of that story with that guy is I was able to get him to a place where he would simply confess over and over again. This is what I did, Lord. Confessed it. And I believe that Jesus Christ is greater than the sin that I've committed. Micah 7, 7, my God will hear me. Number two, an honest confession of the failure needs to be made. Just be honest with God. Don't play down a terrible offense. Just tell the Lord, this is what I did. Micah 7, 9 says, and I will bear the indignation of the Lord. See, here's what he says. He doesn't barter with the Lord. He doesn't bargain with the Lord. He says, I will take my lumps because I have sinned against him. He's trying to get Israel to come to a place of repentance, to pray this kind of prayer. 
And I think if we're going to go before the greater than God, we need to be honest with him. And there's some scriptures you can study further if you choose. And number three, a strong confidence in the grace of God. Strong confidence in his grace. Honest brokenness never loses confidence in the grace of God. But boldly believes that the God of righteousness will plead our case and bring us from the darkness of judgment to the light of life. Your disaster is not your destiny. There's nothing that's gone too far that God cannot redeem. Micah 7, 9, he says, He will bring me out to the light and I will see His righteousness. I will see it. He'll bring me out to the light. And there's more. His righteousness will come for me. And God will produce again in my life and through my life his righteousness. And so Micah 7, 8, I love it. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Now that's your promise. If you've fallen and you're bound by a sin and you need the delivering power of God, you just say, Lord, I'm going to rise again. And though I might sit in darkness today, light's coming. There's light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. Come on. Light is coming. Who brings us light? Psalm 27 says, Lord, you are my light and, and, and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Somebody sent me an email and said, I'm really fearful about the country and, you know. I'm fearful about the candidates we have. Boy, and that's a whole other discussion that we won't have here. (laughs) And I said something to them that they weren't expecting. I said, I'm not afraid. Well, why why aren't you afraid? Because I know who's above the country. What do you mean? You know who's going to win? I said, yeah, I do. His name is J-E-S-U-S. We sang it today. He's the name above all names. He's worthy of our praise, and my heart will sing, how great is my God. Who are you voting for, Pastor B? I'm voting for him. J-E-S-U-S. Oh, you're just being funny, Pastor B. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Who are you voting for in the local election? Doesn't matter, I'm not telling you. You know who's over our city? Yeah, Patrick Weidmiller, he's the manager. No. By the way, he's a man of faith. He prays every day, I know that. You know what I know? God's over our city. Who's over my son or daughter's future? Well, it depends if they're going to surrender to the Lord or not. I want to be over their future. Well, good. Hope it works for you. I put my kids in God's hands a long time ago. It works for me. I pray over my grandkids all the time. Prayed over them yesterday. Hey, Lord, these kids belong to you. Their parents just have to pay for them, but they belong to you. I have a God who's really great. And who invites us. I'm going to use the word old word, beckons us to come into his presence. Micah says, I must endure the Lord's anger because there is a consequence to sin. For I have sinned against him. But then he will defend my cause. And he will accomplish justice on my behalf. You want God to accomplish his justice on your behalf. Trust me. 
and he will lead me out into the light, and I will experience, I love this version, firsthand his deliverance. He will deliver us from our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, whatever we face, and there needs to be a longing for and embrace of our deliverance from God. Long for it. God, I'm going to confess with honesty. I'm going to tell you what I've done because I'm longing for and I want to embrace your deliverance of my life. I want to be a grace-filled person who isn't afraid of the God of grace and is willing to tell you anything. As for me, verse 7, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. And you know the prodigal son story where the father's looking on the horizon for his boy to come home. We need to come to God and confess our sin and honesty to him, our failures to him, our wrongdoings to him, our disobedience to him, and look on the horizon and say, Lord, now that I've confessed, I am looking for, waiting for my Savior to come because my God will hear me. Here's my, my P.S. Before I pray, and, and I want you guys to know our prayer team is going to be available. If anybody needs prayer, they also have communion today. If you would like to have communion, you simply go to, over to the side by the cross and our prayer team will pray with you and serve you communion. But, but here's a challenge. The healing and the forgiveness is up to you. The deliverance is up to you. What do you mean, Pastor? I make it happen. Oh, no, no, no. It's up to you to go and confess to him. It's up to you to say, God, you are greater than my failure. And I'll receive from you because we have a God who longs to hear your voice. Even when you have bad news to tell him. Who longs to hear about your victories and your successes, but even your losses and your sin and your failures. Because he wants to do life with you. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit's all about. And the challenge is the greatest holdup to your healing and your hang-up is you. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.